Hi, folks. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that for the next 16 days, you can get Don't Panic Geocast t-shirts. You'll find them at tblaster.com slash don'tpanic and link down below in the show notes. The proceeds from these shirts will help us pay the hosting bill, ship guest microphones around, and get more free stickers to send out. Thanks for your support. Ninety percent of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Surviving dead week. Oh, yeah, which isn't really a dead week at OU, right? No, not really. We're technically not allowed to assign anything worth more than 10% of their grade unless we do it in the syllabus. So it's really lame, but, you know, whatever. I mean, you just slip it in as one of those last pages that nobody ever reads, right? Exactly. That is exactly what you do. So, yeah, well, my students have something that's 5% of their grade that's due. So, you know, there you go. I like to say that, you know, that's what students think that we do, but really, though it's on that last page, it's in the schedule, it's bolded, there are big stars around it, and we talked about it at the beginning of the class multiple times, (laughs) but you know how it goes. Don't forget, and it's posted, and I gave you a hard copy of it, but you know, yeah, I know how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are you doing not on your dead week? (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, I'm preparing for finals. No, kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I am still coding away. We are getting into the swing of porting some calculations and things from Jimpack, which (laughs) is a... a, Jimpack. (laughs) Yeah, it's a legacy meteorological tool. And there are all kinds of weird things in there that I didn't know were in there, like codes for recording the amount of ice accumulating on a ship in salt water over three hours. Awesome. And just really weird things that uh, we're trying to you know, make citable. And <laughs> oh my it's been gosh. fun. I love it so much. I cannot believe that is still in use. It, it is. It's officially unsupported. Uh, Unidata is still doing minimal maintenance and releases of it. Uh, but the idea is we're going to get all of those calculations rolled into the Python infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And then we can finally let Jim Pack sail off into the sunset. Oh, it's going to be a sad day. We're going to have to have a party for that. A, a party is the right word in my mind. Uh. <laughs> I figured <laughs> I figured you could just, you know, yeah, party or mourn however you uh, feel fit. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it did a lot for a long time. It's just one of those things that it's almost impossible to maintain it for modern it's that, architectures It's now. that bad. It's like yeah. our, like our PMAG programs. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm curious. You know, a few weeks ago we were talking about Mac and PC and uh, tablets and all these things. I was wondering and wanting to check in how you've done with that because you said that you were going to try to use your Mac and iPad a little more. Uh, I oh, so I failed at using the iPad more mostly because I can't pry it out of anyone's fingers here at my house. That's, that's the main reason, but I hate to admit it, man. I've been using this MacBook a lot. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, it's pretty and yeah, it's got a really big screen and I love the action on the keyboard is quite nice. That's what's important to me in a laptop. 
Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> how do you feel about the operating system compared to Windows? Well, so I even updated it to the most recent one. Um, it's just, it's not intuitive, but it's the same thing as with anything in life. Once you put some effort on the front end, you know, it kind of makes a lot of sense. I even know some little keyboard shortcuts. I'm very impressed with myself. <laughs> nice. And some little mousy shortcuts too. So, um, yeah, I like it. I hate it, but I like it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did an experiment as well. Ooh. I was uh, compiling, I was taking uh, all the, the the only way the Jimpack docs exist right now is as a series of linked HTML documents on the web. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I needed to have like a spreadsheet of all the Jimpack functions, what they do, a citation for what the equation is, if there is one. And then if we've implemented it and if we've tested and compared it against Jimpack and all these other things. Oh, so I needed okay. a way to keep track of all this. Well, that resulted in a lot of copy, paste, type, edit, you know, pretty manual. It was a day's worth of work because uh, there are thousands of calculations in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I went to a coffee shop to do it and I took only my iPad. <gasps> Okay. Um, and it, it worked pretty well. There are some st- still some stumbling blocks. Uh, the Google document suite, like Google Sheets, mm-hmm. uh, is not great. It's not as good as the web version. It kept locking up. Uh, so I ended up having to use the web version sometimes. Ah, okay. But actually copying and pasting between the browser and the Google Sheet and having them side by side... Uh, that all worked pretty well. I got less distracted because I didn't see email and everything else popping up all the time, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, okay. which was nice. So I had longer periods of focus. And then there was one point where I stumbled onto a chunk of Python code that somebody had on their website, and I wanted to test it real quick. Well, it required some compiled libraries that Pythonista on the iPad doesn't have. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, so I just remoted into my machine sitting at home and ran it on there. No problems. No problems. No. So here's something that we didn't talk about at all. What if I want to plug something into it? Is that just going away enough that this isn't a problem for you guys? I I mean, everything I do is in the cloud in okay. some form. Right. Uh, unless I'm programming actual physical hardware, I don't plug things in. Uh, I don't know about you all, but we don't allow... <laughs> like, if, if you go to a conference and they want your presentation on a flash drive... Mm-hmm. We have a drawer of little tiny flash drives that are burners because when we plug that into a system that we don't have control over, we never want to see it again. Yeah. Uh, so we put our presentation on it from our laptop, plug it into the AGU system, let them upload it onto their thing, and chunk it in the trash right there. Burners. I love it. Uh, <laughs> because who knows? I mean, you, know, you, you plug your flash drive in where thousands of other people have had flash drives in the same week there's no way i'm plugging that back into my system how are flash drive condoms not a thing how is this not a thing well so you can get a we're way off topic already but uh <laughs> rit guy just found these things they're uh usb to micro sd card mm-hmm adapters which are not new they've been around for a long time mm-hmm. but these have a write protect switch oh so what he did is put some stuff on the flash drive from his computer flipped the write protect switch 
plugged it into the untrusted system. <laughs> they can't write to your drive. It's write protected. Gotcha. Then unplugs it, flips the switch back, and then can use it again. Gotcha. So Okay. So there is something that approximates that. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I don't. Other than maybe having to plug an SD card in to download some photos, which you can do to an iPad, uh, I don't plug much physical media in. Okay. Well. But anyway, this week, I thought we should go back and answer some <laughs> listener questions that we've had. And this one comes from listener Mike. It's been hanging around a while because I said, geez, I don't know how we're going to tackle this one. I really hope Mike still listens to the podcast. So Mike, let us know. <laughs> so we'll let Mike tell you what he's curious about. The engineering guy on YouTube has a fantastic short video about how a microwave oven works. And after watching that and hearing you all discuss wave propagation and long waves and short waves and their characteristics, I find that as a humanities major, I'd like to know more about waves. Now, I know you all don't work with microwaves or mic or that kind of radiation, but I think you're both sciencey enough to do a good explanation of waves, wavelengths, amplitude, frequency, all that stuff, and how a layperson like myself might begin to understand them better. Thanks. Okay, so Mike wants to know about waves, and waves are essential to what we do in science. And this is a pretty <laughs> deep topic. See, now, I never... I never wanted to do this because I don't want my appalling lack of physics knowledge to get out there in public, right? <laughs> because, <laughs> because this is hard. This is not an easy question. No, and in fact, we're going to do this as a two-parter, and mm -hmm. we are going to skim right over the top of the math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, to put it, yeah, we had an entire class that was basically just focused on the wave equation. I mean, we've had several classes actually that were just focused, but entire math class, like all, everything in partial differential equations was take the wave equation and then do all this stuff to it. You can go into more advanced methods of time series analysis, which it, there are several semesters of that. Right, right, uh, exactly. Like, yeah, so just one math course, but all this other junk that you could do too. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, digital signal processing, there's lots of stuff in here but in the first week i thought we should go over what waves are and talk about something called the time domain all right so waves are these things that happen in the ocean and uh yeah you can <laughs> surf them done thanks mike thanks for your inquiry <laughs> right uh, <laughs> so well, i mean waves are everywhere though yeah they're really broad i mean uh, there's radio transmission that's a wave Mm -hmm. uh, We've talked there are waves in meteorology, right? Right, tons of them, right? We've talked about standing waves. When we talked about Chinook winds, we talked about, you know, like lenticular clouds, gravity waves, which are a totally different thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then there are waves in geological flow and folding processes. Mm -hmm. And I there are even manifestations of wave-like behavior in the wave equations in crystal lattice vibrations. Yeah, that's really creepy stuff. That's the, that's the math we're just going to skim over. 
Uh, well, we'll see. No, we're skimming uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, all joking aside, like trying to understand waves is both essential on the fundamental level of so many parts of physical sciences, but it's also really complex. Well, and this is in the conceptual and the mathematical sense. Because if you talk about waves in the mathematical sense at all, you very quickly end up dealing with complex numbers or imaginary numbers. Right, exactly. And nobody has time for that. Um. (laughs) Well, and the... The, the really quick view of that is you say something like, y- you can't take the square root of negative one, right? Correct. There is no number that you can multiply by itself that gives you minus one. But right. let's say there were, mm. and let's call it I for the imaginary number. Yeah. And right. then you develop an entire field of mathematics around this thing that you shouldn't be able to do, and it works perfectly for solving things like the wave <laughs> equation. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just a tool it's just a symbol right right yeah man uh, math mm-hmm. it's beautiful so uh, yep in its way it sure is <laughs> but when you get to talking about waves i think this may be where mike and a lot of other people get bogged down is if you do a search for it or you talk to an engineer a scientist a seismologist especially uh, they can start throwing around terms and terminology that they're very comfortable with, that a very small fraction of the population is comfortable with. Right, exactly. I mean, we always joke about this whole gravity wave business, but that's one of these examples of you know something that you throw around that means one thing to one set of people and another to another, and you can't mix that stuff up. Yeah, and so what is a wave at the most basic fundamental dictionary type definition right and i mean this is too before we even get into that i mean this is like waves in the ocean too these fall under all of these same things so oh yeah i said that jokingly but it actually is the same thing so a wave is an oscillation accompanied by a transfer of energy so i hope that answered your question mike and, and uh well, yeah fun paper friday <laughs> yeah <laughs> but so what, what is oh, that? Ahead. So what does that mean that John dumb that one down? Okay, so an oscillation is a repeating or a periodic action. Right. Okay. Transfer of energy means we're moving energy from one place to another mm-hmm. via some media. Right. Uh but what it doesn't say in there is more important than what it does in my <laughs> mind. Because okay. it nowhere in there says a wave in what domain okay and you're talking about you know the big domains like time right yeah exactly so you could have a wave in time mm-hmm. uh something like uh, a sound wave an acoustic wave right exactly which is a pressure wave mm-hmm. so when you hear something there is a mechanical compression and expansion of the air that's traveling, it's propagating through the air at the speed of sound from the emitter to your ear, presses on your eardrum, and then biology. And so, that also, that very simplified sentence answers the question as well, if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound? And the answer is no. You have to be there to hear it because that's what the definition of sound is. Go mm, ahead. It creates a pressure wave. It does, it but creates no one's there sound. to hear it. So there's no, no, there's no receiver, man. Like... I'm telling you, I was in advanced musical theory, and we talked about this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so 
But, that, but that's a wave in time because over time, if you put a pressure transducer like your ear there, mm-hmm. the pressure's changing as time passes. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can have waves in other domains too. Right. Uh, unfortunately, in something as terrible as mathematical space, right? <laughs> well, yeah. So there are things like the frequency domain, which we'll get to next week. Okay. But, <laughs> uh, but it could also be in physical space. Mm-hmm. So if you if you look at, say, um, oh, I don't know, Horst and Graben structures. Yep. So out in the basin and range. Mm-hmm. Those are periodic, yes? Yes, they are. They are evenly spaced. Yes? Yes. It's an oscillation in space. Oh, yeah. Neat. <laughs> so you can do the, all the things that we're going to do about waves in the time domain, like when we talk about doing frequency transforms and all this other stuff. You can do all that in space, too. And mm-hmm. you can even do it in 2D. You can do it in, you can do it in indie, for that oh, matter. Oh, that's a, that's a little Stranger Things right there. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, so, this works oh, in the upside down, too. <laughs> yeah. So the oscillation can be in any domain, really. Okay. Right. Uh, okay. But there are some fundamental properties of waves, uh, which are really just words that describe things that you already probably conceptualize mm. just by having experience in the world, right? Right. Yeah. Without even thinking about it. Because the rest of that definition is transferring energy, right? So basically, you're right. displacing something to move energy around. You're creating this pressure wave when you're speaking. Waves in the ocean are moving around, right? Rossby waves in the atmosphere, moving e- energy. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And they're displacing particles in those media to do so. So one thing is how much energy? I mean, is this a little tiny iPhone speaker that's on speakerphone as somebody's walking down the street? Or is this somebody with a boombox? Or is this a concert where you can't hear the next day? Uh, <laughs> I love if it. We're going this with is, sound. This is so yeah. This is so where you live when it comes to a wave, right? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but there's all kinds of ways to quantify those things. Yeah, and so the the general one that we'll talk about is amplitude, which okay. the amplitude of the wave is how big is it? If you were to draw it out on a graph, or if you're looking at your horse and graben structure, how tall are they? Uh-huh. How how big is this wave? So it's it's sort of like loudness in the acoustic wave domain. Right. Uh, but that's the simplest version is, you know, peak to trough amplitude or peak to peak amplitude as we would call it. Right. Yeah. So you got to pick one of those. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's other amplitudes as well. Uh, if you deal with electrical stuff, you'll hear people a lot of times talk about the RMS or the root mean square. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but amplitude is, in some form, telling you how much energy is being transferred. Right. You got 40 foot seas, you got 10 foot seas. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Great. But that's not to be confused with wavelength, which it often is confused with that with students who don't pay attention, right? <laughs> True. And there's there's a wavelength and frequency tie-in as well here. Mm-hmm. So yep, yep. <laughs> oh, what's wavelength? So that's just, if you're looking at the ocean... This little boat's on the top of this wave, and that boat's on the top of the other one, right? So it's the distance between two identical points. It doesn't have to be the top, because it's the same no matter what, right? So distance between two identical points on the wave. Right. So any two points, and you you literally measure it. Right. Uh, 
<laughs> exactly. Yes. And, Wave length. <laughs> yeah. And so this is something where in radio transmission, if you talk to ham radio operators, you'll often hear them talk about, oh, well, I was on the two meter band or I was on the six meter band mm-hmm. or the 10 meter band. They're talking about the wavelength of the wave that's going out from their antenna and carrying their voice around the world. It's right. about two meters. Right. And that's really cool to think about. I love thinking about ham radio. It's it's a really interesting, uh, interesting um, experiment in understanding waves, I think. We should probably do a show on that at some we point. We probably should. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the, so that's wavelength. Mm-hmm. But you'll also hear people talk about frequency. So they could say, I'm on the two meter band, or they could say, I'm at 146 megahertz. Right. So frequency is this other thing that we talk about, which isn't exactly wavelength, right? But you have to have this time thing in there too. Right. So if somebody is standing on the shore watching your boat mm-hmm. and they count the number of times it gets to the top of the wave or the top of a wave, Mm-hmm. Uh, every second there that's the frequency okay yep so frequency sense. has units of per second one over seconds right uh which if it's an ocean wave you know it's probably maybe one wave every 10 seconds let's say mm-hmm. so that would have a frequency of 0.1 hertz okay makes sense uh one hertz would be once a second so my 140 uh, six megahertz, for example, is 146 million times a second. That wave is oscillating. That's a bunch. It's quite a few. Uh, things like your home Wi-Fi, though, are 2.4 gigahertz. Ooh. So bump that up by you know another three decimal places. Three Those are some uh, there. pretty excited waves jumping all around here. <laughs> yeah, uh, and <laughs> there's actually a fun relation that you can see if you put a plate. Uh, you know, put a a tortilla on a plate, sprinkle some cheese on it, put it in your microwave with the rotating tray thing out so okay. the plate doesn't rotate. Mm-hmm. Turn the microwave on for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 seconds or so. Uh, you'll see strips where the cheese is more melted. And if you measure between those, you're measuring the wavelength of the energy that your microwave is radiating onto your food. It's about two and a half inches or so. I got to go. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be back in 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. I can't wait to show my kid this. I mean, it depends on what microwave you got, where it is. Mm-hmm. They're all in the gigahertz band somewhere. Oh, uh, but that's beautiful. <laughs> that brings up the next point of wavelength is the velocity divided by the frequency. Okay. And you say the velocity of what, right? Right. (laughs) It's the velocity of that wave in whatever media it's going through. Right. So it's going to be different in air versus water versus rock. Yeah. So, you know, radio waves are roughly the speed of light, uh, plus a tiny difference because we're not in a perfect vacuum. Yeah. Uh, but something like a sound wave, that's about 320 meters a second. It's pretty darn slow. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So you can do the math. You can measure between the melted spots on your cheese. You know the speed of light. So you take the speed of light and the distance, and you can calculate the frequency uh, of your microwave. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Uh, and 
to confuse things a little more, there's one more fundamental parameter, which is the period. Yeah, this one gets really confusing. It's students. confusing until you're comfortable. It's sort of like a Mac. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's so true. Um, yeah, students have a hard time figuring out the difference between wavelength and period, I feel like. And so the period is one over the frequency. Okay. So it has units. Frequency is one over seconds mm -hmm. or per second. So a period is just seconds. Just it's seconds. time. Exactly. Okay. So how long in stopwatch time does it take for one full cycle of the wave to go past me that's all it is mm -hmm. yep so if you're talking about something like your boat on the ocean mm -hmm. it is much more convenient for me to say that that wave has a 20 second period than to say that it has a frequency of 0.05 hertz right yes exactly <laughs> it's it's way more intuitive Right. Because you don't think in per seconds. Well, I mean, you do, but most people don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's also one of those things where if we're talking about, and I mean, this depends on the person and uh, what they're specializing in and so on. But, well, it probably makes more sense to say 146 megahertz instead of saying a period of 1 times 10 to the minus 13 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, that could get unwieldy. So, you know, it's uh, horses for courses here. Uh, <laughs> and you uh, you really just use whichever is more convenient for what you're talking about. In seismology, we're kind of in that sweet spot in the middle where a lot of stuff we talk about for earthquake seismology is somewhere between one second and a few hundred seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe up to, you know, 0.1 second period. Right. So we get good at it because we're all the time saying a one one second period instrument which is also one hertz right. or a 10 second period wave or oh well, you know make that corner frequency 0.1 hertz we get pretty used to going back and forth right yeah that is uh, nice but those are things that, that that with those you can fundamentally describe almost everything about a wave okay so that's your question mike and uh fun paper friday <laughs> Well, no. <laughs> oh, you're going to keep dragging me down. Okay, but there's another word that happens a lot when we're talking about waves, and that's phase. Yeah, this one gets everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so the phase, the position of a point in time or an instant, right, on a waveform cycle. <sighs> right. Yeah. So you got to be really good, I feel like, at visualizing this to be able to understand these differences. Yeah, this is hard to do via podcast. Radio. But... Mm -hmm, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so if you draw a sine wave out, which is, you know, just a simple, smooth oscillation, mm -hmm. and you start it at the left side of your page, mm -hmm. and let's say you start it, if you're, well, if you're drawing a sine wave, you're starting it at zero. Right. Uh, if you started at one, you're drawing either cosine. a cosine mm -hmm. or you're drawing a sine wave that's phase shifted. Yeah, there you go. So if you take that piece of paper, if, you know, time is running along your table mm -hmm. and you slide that piece of paper around on your table, you're changing the phase. You're changing where, when I say time is one second into my 
data acquisition or into my whatever frame of reference I'm using, where am I at on that wave? And if I slide the wave left and right, that's changing its phase. We normally talk about phase in degrees or in terms of radians. So we'll say, you know, it's 90 degrees or it's pi over two or whatever radians. Right. right. Out because, of phase with the other signal. Right. Because you're shifting or whatever. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so with those quantities only, we have now described our wave. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> it's not that easy. <laughs> well. Like, well, okay. It is that easy at first, but then lots of stuff can happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it's that easy if you have a wave that is non-time invariant infinitely long and propagating in a perfect vacuum in a, with no obstacles exactly <laughs> the, so we're pretty much done yep <laughs> uh but the medium gets in the way yeah so anybody that has poor cell phone reception or that one corner of the house where your ipad doesn't work well <laughs> it's all about this yeah yeah <laughs> basically i mean but we're glad that this is occurring because most of our seismology friends wouldn't have jobs if yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, no science would have jobs, really, because... <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> pretty much everything breaks down into wave analysis at some point. Uh, right. And so the point is that stuff happens to your wave as it goes through a medium, because it's not a perfect vacuum. So you get changes in the speed, and that can change what the wave does. And these are probably fairly... Um, fairly familiar words like reflection ref reflection that's a, yep, that's a nice combination that is not, i like it not a familiar word at all <laughs> reflection uh reflection <laughs> and <Right>. refraction <laughs> and so right. then you've messed up your wavelength and all kinds of other things yeah so reflection is probably the simplest yes uh, if you have let's say a flashlight pointing at a mirror which there's a whole wave particle duality thing that we're not even going to get into. I was going to say, wait a minute. Uh, that's a, that's a, I would have gone with a billiard ball, but you know. So light is behaving as a wave and it's shining on our mirror. <laughs> and or you have a laser a pointer. Yep. You have, you have your little laser safety glasses on. Yes. Uh, so you don't look into the laser with your remaining good eye. And you point it at the mirror. It is going to bounce off that mirror at an identical and opposite angle to the, what it hit at. Right. Mm-hmm. So that one's pretty straightforward, and this is the basis of all of reflection seismology, where we find your fossil fuels. Right, exactly. Okay. So that's reflection in a... Tiny, very tiny nutshell. <laughs> tiny nutshell. How much of that energy gets reflected, any weird things that happen, like phase splitting and all that, that's mm -mm. a whole nother mm -hmm. ball yep. of wax. Yep. Um, <laughs> We're going we're going again with this 100% and, you know, no changes in the media. <laughs> right. So now let's say that you hit an interface. So we have uh, a slow rock and then a fast rock below it. Mm -hmm. Or your laser pointer is shining into your glass of water. Or you just have a pencil, you know, the whole my pencil's broken thing in the glass right. of water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so or a straw, that is refraction of light because the speed of light in water is different than the speed of light in air. 
Right. And so it's going to look different. Um, there's actually a really cool biological thing having to do with refraction. Um, because do you know what a trigger fish is? I don't. So it's this little fish that he hunts, essentially, bugs that are on vegetation above the water. And so the trigger fish goes up to the water interface. His little mouth doesn't come out. And he shoots a stream of water. And he knocks the bug off his little perch and then eats it. And so there's a lot to a study about how trigger fish can do this because they're looking up through water and yet the angle that they shoot at is how water would travel in air not through water hmm. yeah and so it's really uh there's a lot of how do trigger fish's eyes work and then how basically do they do this math in their brains to get the right angle with which to um, shoot these bugs off it's very interesting. Well, you know, um, I, I think they're actually uh, doing the math, which we have the math. It's called Snell's Law. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you need a physics test done, get your trigger fish and he will take it for you. <laughs> so uh, Snell's Law itself, I mean, it's something we talk about in mineralogy. Yeah. Uh, when you're doing optical mineralogy, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yep, because you got to know how that light is going through your little chunk of rock. Yeah. So if you have your interface, your rock or your water interface or whatever, and you measure the angle relative to what we call normal, which is just perpendicular to the interface or straight down. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so the angle that you're coming in at, you call that, let's say, theta one because we're creative. <laughs> exactly. And the angle in the new material, we call that theta two. Mm-hmm. Snell's law says that the ratio of the signs of those is equal to the ratio of the velocities. Right. So sine theta 1 over sine theta 2 is V1 over V2. Yep, exactly. You can do some fun stuff to derive that. It's actually kind of fun. Um, it, it is. This is actually really cool. Uh, it's one of the first things you do, I feel like, in your physics 2 class, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but it, it holds for seismology, too. You can calculate, okay, I have a sandstone on top of a granite, and I know the velocities of those. What refraction is going to happen to my seismic waves as they go down through there. It's a huge thing for earthquake seismology and even active source seismology. It's a huge thing for optical mineralogy as well, right? And so you get these things called refractive index depending on what medium you're traveling through. So like different rocks are going to have a different refractive index, air versus water, all that. It's true. Uh, And then some of that energy is going to go through the interface, be refracted. Some of it will get reflected. Uh, okay. That ends up having to do with the impedance mismatch of right. these materials, mm-hmm. which it sounds like electrical engineering because it is. <laughs> um, it's the same thing of you need to have an antenna that's the right length or too much uh, your radio signal gets reflected back and damages your transmitter. Ah, okay. It's the same thing. Uh, it's the same thing that... You uh, like police sirens use the horn that projects the siren out mm-hmm. has to have the correct acoustic impedance for what you're trying to do to project well. Right. Okay. So again, it's all waves, uh, whether it's radio <laughs> or acoustic. Okay, it can't be as simple as just one wave, though, right? Because you talk about impedance, but then there's also all the waves interacting together, which is interference, and that can be destructive or not destructive 
Right. So you can get constructive interference. That's the word. Uh, <laughs> you can get things that resonate. Uh, yeah. Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yep. That was that was a natural resonance of that structure with the wind. Oh, creepy. Uh, so that was that can be analyzed using waves. Uh, but yeah, you can get destructive interference as well. This is where, you know, if you have a couple of speakers facing each other and you change their phasing, you can get the waves to be 180 degrees out of phase. And at some point they'll cancel and you'll have a, a null in the sound. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is all bringing radar meteorology back to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that is a little tricky for folks and this again, optical mineralogies, where geologists know this from for sure, is when you go into a slower medium, the frequency of your wave is constant no matter what. Mm-hmm. But you went into a slower medium. Right. So now the wavelength gets shorter. There you go. Because you have to have the same number of cycles per second, but you're traveling a lot slower. So if you're drawing this out in time, they have to be closer together. You're going to have to squeeze it in there. Yep. Mm-hmm. I Which really that have causes to... all kinds of fun stuff and like side effects for earthquakes where you get things shaking more and yeah. Oh, I guess. Yeah. See, I don't think of it as an earthquakes. I think of it as in radar or an optical mineralogy. That's that's the sphere I live in. So I don't think about that kind of interference. Mm, interesting. Yeah. But think about it. You have uh, you have waves from an earthquake, a nearby earthquake that are coming into a sedimentary basin which mm-hmm. is much slower than the surrounding rock. Right, yeah, exactly. Yep, which is why it's terrible in some cities that are built on sediments in sedimentary basins. Right. and Which we've talked uh, about. <laughs> okay, so, but you can also think of this in terms of like a prism where you're looking at Snell's Law and you can relate this to wavelengths. So the, the ratio of those, uh, sine of those angles is also equal to the ratio of the wavelengths or the refractive index. Mm-hmm. So you have different frequencies of light. You shoot a beam of white light in, you get separated rainbow out. Right. Okay. Yep. Uh, Makes sense. If you have trouble with Snell's law, remembering which way is it going to bend? Is it going to bend into this medium or into that medium and that kind of thing? And you don't want to do the math. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of it like a car. Hmm. So the slower medium, think of it like a mud patch and the faster medium, think of it like the pavement you're driving your car towards this interface, which wheels hit the mud patch first and go slower. Oh, interesting. So you're really, the car is always going to bend into the slower medium, right? Right. Yeah. But Mm. that's one way to think of it. That is, that is, that's good. Okay. Yep. Makes sense too. Um, let's go back on this, uh, radar analogy too, because there's something else we can do, uh, (laughs) which we talk about a lot in radar, um, is aliasing. And this is not good. You don't want your stuff to alias, right? No. And it can happen in the uh, spatial domain, too. When you're looking at really old graphics that like, you draw a bunch of boxes close together and suddenly you see like weird X patterns in them or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's visual aliasing. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So old graphics and old games where you say, oh, that looks weird. Yeah, it's, that's aliasing. And so uh, that's really interesting. <laughs> I never thought about that. And aliasing in radars where you, you know, you send out all these pulses and you're listening for them back and you wind up getting confused about the order they're coming back in, right? And so your stuff gets all messed up when you're trying to actually put it on the radar. It can appear, you know, faster than it really is. Right. 
So if you have your wave going by, let's say that you're looking at ocean waves. Okay. You are on, um, let's see, let's say you're on a dock and you're watching the waves go by, but you have a blindfold on and you only get to take the blindfold off once every so often and look at the waves. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. If you get to take the blindfold off 10 times a second, you're going to have a really good idea of what's going on, how fast the waves are coming at you, mm-hmm. what the frequency of these waves is. If you take the blindfold off once a second, you don't quite have as much information, but you can still tell what the frequency of the waves is. What if you get to take the blindfold off once a minute? Yeah, now you're not going to have any idea. Yeah, so if you sample or if you look at the waves less than twice the maximum frequency, you will misinterpret or misunderstand the frequency content of that wave. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that limit, that uh, sampling limit, is called the Nyquist-Shannon limit. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you have to you have to sample twice as fast as the fastest thing that you're interested in. Right. Yep. Yep. Very commonly talked about in radar. Right. And measuring any kind of signal in the lab, uh, doing any kind of audio analysis. So what's what's the top end of average human hearing? Uh, I don't know. It's 18 to 20 kilohertz, roughly. Okay. What is it for dogs? No idea. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> but if you look at, you remember CDs, right? Or uh, <laughs> if, you look at, if you look at your MP3s now, or even this podcast, this podcast is being recorded at a sampling rate of 44.1 kilohertz. Oh, cool. So we're sampling at about twice, twice the maximum much. frequency that we expect to be in here. Mm, lucky for you guys so you can hear all of us yeah otherwise we would sound pretty weird (laughs) otherwise yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh, what does this have to do with crystals you've got a note here and i don't understand oh yeah so (laughs) crystal lattices vibrate because atomic physics that we're not going to talk about right now Mm -hmm. yeah you can think of atomic bonds as springs well, doesn't, John, doesn't this have to do with just, you know, the natural energy in crystals? Yeah. And why they can heal you? Yeah, exactly, right? Okay, great. So, you know, you <laughs> put it under your shirt. pillow and somehow you end up with a giant gash inside. Yeah. Right. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, what we're dealing with here is these fundamental resonances because of the bonds connecting atoms acting like springs. And springs, these whole oscillator systems, we can calculate what their resonant frequency is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those frequencies are pretty high. Yes. And acoustic waves travel through crystals relatively fast. Mm-hmm. For a geologist, for an electrical engineer, <laughs> it's it's very it's slow. It's pretty slow. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the atoms in the crystal are spaced pretty far apart. Angstroms, tens of angstroms. Pretty far apart. Yep. <laughs> so they are further apart than the... Shannon limit, the Nyquist-Shannon limit, mm-hmm. of the natural vibration of the crystal in many cases. So you get this sort of spatial aliasing of this resonant wave that's going throughout the crystal because all the nodes in the system are spaced at the wrong places. That's unbelievable to me that seismology works, thinking about that then. 
Well, you know, there's macroscopic and microscopic properties. Yeah, but that's mm. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I never thought about that. Th- there's also spatial aliasing as well. No kidding. That's really cool. Yeah. Whew. Okay. Well, that was a lot about waves. <laughs> and next week, so uh, we've talked about stuff in time or a little bit in space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But next week, I want to talk about the frequency domain. That one's hard. to. I'm going to need a week to try to get my head around that one. <laughs> and there you really get to see why waves are so powerful and why every <laughs> fundamental scientific analysis breaks down to Let's cast this as a set of waves. Yep, yep. Exactly. Notice I said not wave, but set of waves. Set of waves. Good old wave equation. Uh, I'll break out my books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but without further ado, I think it's time to move on to everybody's favorite segment of the show. <laughs> Fun Paper Friday. Yay! And, you know, I have to say, <laughs> uh, one of our listeners said that he can't wait until you get the cowbell back. Oh, so we can uh, both go. <laughs> and I'm actually going to throw in the other piece of feedback that he had. This is from a listener also named John. Okay. And last week when we were talking about, uh, or two weeks ago now, I guess, when we were talking about keyboards, you said that you liked the clickety-clackety keyboards. He said <laughs> you should check out Tom Hanks' free Hanks Writer app or something similar, uh, where apparently Tom Hanks collects old typewriters, and this app lets you make those old typewriter sounds when you're typing on your phone. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I do like the haptic feedback uh, on on my Android, that's for sure. This is fantastic. So there you go. <laughs> Cowbell Rider. comment and <laughs> the Hanks Rider app. But oh, that's great. <laughs> this week's paper actually comes from Nature Scientific Reports. It's relatively recent, so it was actually published online in October of this year. Okay. And it is called Human Attention Affects Facial Expressions in Domestic Dogs by Kaminsky et al. So this isn't nearly as delicious as last week's, right? (laughs) No, but it could be called Statistical Analysis of Puppy Dog Eyes. Uh, Yes, I love it. Um, I also love that this is a very recent nature paper, and the conclusions in here, any dog owner would go, duh. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I was explaining this to my husband, and he's like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so, I lo- so see, like, not all the easy questions in science. There's still some low-hanging fruit out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> but this is a really cool paper because, basically, it, these researchers um, look at the facial expressions of dogs because facial expressions in mammals is something that apparently has been studied a lot. And um, historically people think that these animal facial expressions are considered to be not voluntary, right? So they're these involuntary things like pain is going to make you go, you know, and make the, the pain face or whatever. Right. And it's, <laughs> everyone knows the stepping on a Lego face. Um, <laughs> yeah. See, you just made it. <laughs> but um, maybe in higher mammals like us, um, we have different, we use expressions voluntarily, especially when we're talking to an audience. And also in some, um, some chimps and gibbons also do this as well. And so these researchers looked at our best friends to see if they do it. And it turns out they do. Well, what was even more interesting is the dogs apparently are doing these movements 
at least some of them, voluntarily because when the person wasn't facing them, they didn't do it. Exactly. This is unbelievable. So the experiment was, you know, if you're looking at a dog and you're giving it attention, like with your eyes, and that was a big deal, you had to have eye contact, would these dogs make the same facial expressions as they would if they were just confronting another stimulus, say, food? And the deal is, no, they make more facial expressions when they have a human who's looking at them. So when they have an audience, they do these facial expressions more than they would if they were just looking at a piece of food. And it's not just facial expressions. There's more to it than that. Yeah, there's tail wagging. Yeah. And uh, apparently these are coded. I did not (laughs) know or understand this totally. I Uh, love it. (laughs) But there are codes, AU and AD codes. So like mm-hmm. AU 101 is raising of eyebrows and AD 19 is showing your tongue. Exactly. No, AD 101 is raising the inner eyebrow. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> and they said there's a study that shows that dogs in shelters that exhibit more of this AD 101 behavior are adopted more quickly because they're making puppy dog eyes. Exactly. This is unbelievable to me. And that's appealing to our, I guess, somehow sense of wanting to care for, for a young a ch- or defenseless thing. Exactly. So it makes their eyes look bigger, I guess. And so that's juvenile features present in the adult thing. Um, I've actually read about this <laughs> in regards to chihuahuas. I can get all the all the hate mail, send it just straight to me, because <laughs> I can't stand those dogs, <laughs> and I call them rats. But uh, there's a thing that is said about Chihuahua evolution is that they evolved those big eyes because it would make humans want to take care of them more, because hmm. they look more like human babies or some creepy stuff like that. <laughs> well, I thought it was pretty cool that. So dogs have been living with us for about 30,000 years, it says. Yeah, mm -hmm. one of the first animals that we domesticated. Which, that gives enough time for selection pressure to operate and for us to observe it, which is so cool. Yes, yeah. I mean, you couldn't do this on cats, number one, because cats always have one facial expression, which is a word I can't say on the radio. (laughs) Um. (laughs) They're angry cat, grumpy cat. (laughs) grumpy cat yes (laughs) um yeah i I think this is really any this is really obvious to anyone that owns a dog because your dog wants to please you and they make the facial expressions to do that which now is backed up by science but i think any one of us would know that yes absolutely they do so these aren't just involuntary facial expressions because they don't make them when they're just looking at food or whatever but they're actually making them when you make eye contact with them and you've got the guilty facial expression yeah exactly (laughs) i have a part border collie man that dog has so many facial expressions it's ridiculous (laughs) yeah usually usually guilt you're exactly right and so uh, the AU and AD were action units and action descriptors. Mm-hmm. And they also have EADs, which for dogs are ear action descriptors. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's adorable. Uh, this inner brow razor, this is really funny. And tongue show, just hilarious. <laughs> yep. Ears downward, ears pulled ventrally laterally is EAD 105, one of my dog's favorites. 
Uh, yeah, yep. I can imagine my little dog doing the same thing. That yeah. is funny. You know, no, your dog is little. My big dog doing the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> true. But they're, but they're both Mitzis. <laughs> it's true. So our dog is a Dachshund Chihuahua. Oh, and mine is a um, Border Collie Lab. So, yeah. Right. Your dog doesn't look like a Chihuahua or else I wouldn't like it. So It's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do love the method section. These little, you know, scientific reports in nature. They're pretty short, but then they have some additional data. And I usually skip over all that. Um, but, yeah, the method section shows all those AU behaviors as well as the experimental setup, which is basically just a person looking at the dog with a piece of food <laughs> or not it's looking true. at the dog with a piece of food. <laughs> and, and there's a oh, good, and they're very specific about the type of food used as well. Not only that, they even go as far as to say the dogs are observed in a quiet room of 2.85 by 3.6 meters. <laughs> dogs favorite golden ratio room. Like what? <laughs> what does that even mean? uh okay it's 1.26 is the ratio so eh. yeah okay but i said the dog golden ratio (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh that's great um i I, their procedure you know the dog was allowed to sniff everything and pee on it before (laughs) right (laughs) before they started the experiments too (laughs) so there you go another uh, interesting study (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that made it into nature. Oh, exactly. Keep them coming. These are great. <laughs> exactly. So if you have any of the standard facts coding observations of your dog when you're looking at it or when you're not looking at it, uh, you can send those in for statistical aggregation to us or your own suggestion for a fun paper. Shannon, where can they send those? Uh, send your puppy EAD 105 pictures to show at don'tpanicgeocast.com or you can just tag us on Twitter so you get the added bonus of John's Christmas lights blinking and we get to look at your dog pictures at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin or post them on our Slack channel in the software underground, the Don't Panic channel. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.